Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. A number of months ago, but not everybody loved that idea. Uh, but if you like that idea, go for it. Uh, my name is Joe. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. Uh, this morning we are continuing in the book of Matthew, and I'm guessing that this morning when you woke up, you thought, I really, 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 really hope that Joe teaches through the genealogy in Matthew, that he reads 41 names to us and we listen to it. Well, if that was your hope this morning, that's what we're going to do, um, and my prayer is that uh, there will be a lot more to it than maybe you, you, you think initially. So probably all of us are guilty of reading through the Bible, coming to a long list of names in the Old or New Testament, and just kind of leapfrogging to the next uh, section. We've all done it, right? I've done it for sure. Um, but I think hopefully what we'll see is there's a lot that the genealogies teach us, and they're really important, and they're part of the inspiration of Scripture. But because I'm going to read a list of names to you, I want to give you a, a couple things to think about while I'm reading. So a couple questions that you guys can look for as I'm reading to keep your, your minds engaged. Okay, you ready for the questions? Here we go. First question, how many women are mentioned in the genealogy? Don't answer it now, but look for it and don't read ahead. You got to do it live. Uh, this one's a little trickier. How many Gentiles are mentioned in this Jew Jewish genealogy of Jesus? That's a tongue twister. Uh, how, many, how many Gentiles are mentioned? Okay, now you gotta pay attention to this one. Do you notice anything strange about King Solomon's parents? The author of the book of Proverbs. So I'll say now. And whose name is mentioned twice? So, keep you engaged. You're looking for... Women in the Bible, in the genealogy, you're looking for how many Gentiles? You're looking for anything strange about King Solomon's parents? And see if anybody's name's mentioned twice. Okay, you ready? So we're going to read Matthew 1 through 17. And then we're going to just see some things that emerge from this genealogy. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of, um, uh, I practiced so many times, <laughs> Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. So if you're counting women, how many do we have so far? Three. We got three. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. 
So that was 14 generations. Now we're going to see 14 more and then 14 after that. Matthew groups them in groups of 14. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is one of the answers to your questions. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father, just a clue, another answer to one of the questions, of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. So when the Jewish people were departed to Babylon or taken to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, we'll say, and Zerubbabel, I think that's how you say it, the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Ahim, and Ahim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. How'd I do? <laughs> you, you have no idea how many times I listened to that and practiced that and still didn't go. I, I would give myself a C. So let's, let's pray and uh, we'll jump in. Lord, um, we know these, these names represent real people and real families and real extended families. And they, they represent your amazing grace and forgiveness and mysterious workings and ways. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would see uh, your grace magnified through this extended uh, genealogy. And uh, we'd walk away just having hope for our own lives and our own families and a real confidence in you. And most importantly, just a gratefulness to Jesus for coming into this broken world to restore and redeem. And uh, I ask for your help as I teach this passage. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, the title this morning is King of Kings. That's our theme of Matthew. A true story of sin, suffering, miracles, grace, and hope. This genealogy could be summed up as a true story of sin, suffering, miracles, grace, and hope. If you weren't here last week, we're going to start with some review and then we'll get into um, some, some themes that emerge through the book of Matthew. But if you're wondering the answers to the questions, I don't want to leave you hanging. How many women are mentioned? Five. How many Gentiles are mentioned? It's possibly debatable. So it's either three or four. Um, there's a debate if all the women um, are Gentiles. So I would lean towards four, but 
Um, Bathsheba was married to somebody that was not Jewish, so it's a debate whether she was Jewish or not. So kind of a trick question. Uh, notice anything strange about King Solomon's parents? Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Yes, they, um, he was born um, to Bathsheba, who was um, a, the wife of Uriah before she was the wife of David. So it gets complicated, and we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, whose name is mentioned twice? Is it mentioned twice? Because that's not the answer, but that might. <laughs> Starts with a J. Jeconiah. So before the, the, the deportation to Babylon and after the deportation, he's actually in both sections of 14, the second and the third. And I see some of you don't believe me, so you're looking right now to see if that is true. Verse 11 and verse 12, check it out. All right, so let's do a little review from last week. Uh, last week we looked at Matthew 1.1 and then went back into the Old Testament. So Matthew 1.1 says the book of the genealogy literally could be translated the origin of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I read this quote last week. I'll read it again. Matthew's purpose for writing to followers of Jesus toward the end of the first century AD is to portray Jesus as God's authorized Messiah who teaches and enacts the reign of God, the rule of God, and who ushers in the kingdom through his self-giving ministry and death. So you could say the book of Matthew is about Jesus the King. And just a couple more things for review. Jesus the name means the Lord is salvation. Uh, Jesus Christ, Christ is the title for Messiah. It means king, anointed one. And so, so Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is in fact the promised king of the Old Testament. And the title in verse 1 of the son of David points to this king that would come from David's lineage, from David's line, that would be different than any other king that ever came on earth. And we, we looked at 2 Samuel 7, 12-13. When your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, meaning he dies, I will raise up for you an offspring after you, he shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now listen to this. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this king is going to be different in the fact that he is going to be eternal. He's going to live forever, and his rule and reign for his people will be eternal as well. And we see that unfold in the book of Matthew. Then the last review from last week um, He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. So remember, Matthew was writing primarily to Jewish Christians. He wants them to know that Jesus is of the line and the promise of Abraham. And the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham is actually found in Genesis chapter 12. So we're going the whole way back to the beginning or near the beginning when God spoke to Abram and said this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
So this promise, this covenant that God made to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus makes it possible. And Jesus actually makes the last part possible as well. The blessing will go beyond the Jewish people. It will go to all people. And just a little peek into the future where we're heading, in the book of Matthew, in this genealogy, it's significant that there are at least three, if not four, Gentiles mentioned in the genealogy. Because it was always God's plan to save a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So you get some hints of that. So here's the big idea that Matthew wants us to get from verse 1 to verse 17. Jesus is the promised king, and we must trust and follow him. He is the promised king, and we must trust and follow him. And he is showing from the genealogy all the connections to the Old Testament promises and prophecies. Just a couple things to know about this genealogy. If you really know your Old Testament well, like super well, and you love names and you love genealogies and you're, you're one of the exceptions that doesn't skip it, if you're, that's you and you're really astute, you'll notice that Matthew actually skips people. He skips entire generations at times. He skips like three kings in a row at one point. And um, one of the, the commentators I was reading uh, named William Hendrickson wrote, the purpose of the genealogy is Christology, not chrono- chronologies. In other words, it's, it's the point is to point to the study of the king and trace him back. It's not to give a timetable of events that you can know exactly what year it is based on this genealogy. So just like I said last week, Matthew records the events of Jesus out of order. He's not feeling real precise with the genealogy either. His idea is it's, it's, it's kind of twofold. He wants us to know that Jesus traces the whole way back to Abraham. And he's also using some, some Hebrew stylistic writing in that he's grouping it by 14s. And so he's pairing things in very specific ways. So don't get all bent out of shape. That was within the bounds of the way that they wrote. Um, and so Matthew is, is really in keeping with that as well. But if you caught that, good job. Uh, and this genealogy in many ways is a gateway into the Old Testament. It's a massive bridge that I said last week, like the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, that connects the New Testament to the Old Testament. And so if you're, if you're confused by especially the Old Testament, which is the majority of your Bible, the book of Matthew will actually help you connect dots. Little side note, fact-checking. My dad watches every Sunday, as does my stepmom, Pat. And the Bay Bridge is actually 4.2 miles long, not 2.1, like I said last week. So uh, they, they text me during church to, to let me know that. So I was paying attention. I was wrong, Dad. You were right. So the point, though, is it's a bridge into the Old Testament. So with that in mind, what we're going to do we're going to wear four pair of glasses and think about this genealogy. So you don't have to fear that we're going to look at every name and every detail because it really does cover hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish history. What we're going to do is put on four sets of glasses, one at a time, and we're going to look through a lens at the genealogy and we're going to see some things. And those things, hopefully, are going to magnify who God is, Jesus' salvation plan, and the grace of God. So first pair of 
glasses we're putting on is, is the dark pair. Uh, point number one, the lens of sin. So put on your glasses. We're going to look at this list through some of the, the, the sins of the people in this list. The ancestors of Jesus were a sinful and dysfunctional mess. They were. We're going to see that. The ancestors of Jesus were a sinful and dysfunctional mess. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want you to get a real picture that this is a messy, messy, messy bunch. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, uh, skeletons in, in your closet? So you, that phrase or that, that metaphor is like there are, there are dark secrets in a family's history that are, are similar to skeletons in the closet. You just hide them, you shut the door. Well, Jesus' lineage is, is this like closet upon closet of skeletons, of dark secrets. Now the difference is they're recorded and preserved in Scripture, which is one of the reasons it helps me to believe that the Bible is true. Because all, except for Jesus, all the heroes of the Bible are flawed. Many of them are severely flawed. And so as we're looking through this lens, we're not going to look at every sin, but we're going to look at some big, big things that happen, particularly among the big names. And the reason this is important is because one of the mistakes the Jewish people made is they kept hoping in the next king, the next king, the next king, and some kings were good and some were really, really, really bad. And they had an idea of a king which would, would be some version of military success, maybe wealth. Um, they, they thought the king should look a certain way, big and strong in appearance. That was one of the mistakes with King Saul versus King David when they found him as a young shepherd boy. Which is why it's significant that, that Jesus, it says in Isaiah had nothing physically attractive about him that, that would draw somebody to him. See, God's way of doing things is very, very, very different. So let's just look at a few. So Abraham, he was a liar. At times he, he lied. So God spoke to him. You're the, from you is going to be this seed that's going to be the, the hope of the world. And so you know that happens, and not too long after that, he starts lying um, and saying that Sarah is not his wife, but is his sister. So this is, this is Abraham. This is the guy. Um, in this list, uh, Rahab, it's mentioned numerous times in the Bible that she's a prostitute. She, her, her trade was prostitution, and then she encounters the grace of God, which we'll see in a moment. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, was a deceiver. He and his mom came up with a plan to even steal his birthright. King David, who wrote about half of the Psalms, if not more, committed adultery, and not only that, conspired to murder Bathsheba's husband, who he had committed adultery with. So he not only sinned in adultery, but then he conspired to have him murdered and put him at the front of the battle, and he indeed was killed. Bathsheba committed adultery with David while her husband was fighting in battle. So they, they both sinned. Solomon, for those of you who have um, history of addiction in your own personal life or in your own family, Solomon indulged in every 
pleasure known to man. And you can read that in the Bible, and you, you get the, the idea that this is a man who at certain points of his life, for decades I would say, was enslaved to his passions and desires. Uh, he, it says in Ecclesiastes 2.10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. In other words, I, I deserve this. So you, you'll see um, all kinds of messy things about Solomon's life. Opening another closet. This closet's even more disturbing. Tamar in the genealogy uh, disguised herself as a prostitute and ended up having two twin sons with her father-in-law, Judah, like the tribe of Judah. So that the two sons that are mentioned here are, are hers from Judah, and she disguised herself as a prostitute. That's, that's some serious skeletons in the closet. Um, many of the kings did evil before the Lord. And in fact, if you read in the Old Testament, one of the reasons of the Babylonian um, captivity was just because of the ongoing rebellion of the Jewish people. Now you might be thinking, does he know it's Christmas? Does he know, does he know like this time of your guests come? And um, does he know that? He has to know that. He's been a pastor for a while. He should know that. What's he doing up there? Here's the point. This is probably one of my biggest burdens that people get all confused about what Christianity really is. See, it's not just Jesus' lineage that has skeletons in the closet. It's not just Jesus that has a messy family history. Since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned, sin went into the world. And so we've all been marred and affected by it. We really have. And we were born with a sinful nature. And if we really understand our condition, the human condition, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are in need of restoration and salvation and forgiveness, then what that does, the, the accurate diagnosis leads us to trust in the only remedy, which is Jesus. I mean, imagine if I went to the doctor and they had tests run and said, you know, my legs hurt, my, I, I, I'm just, my knees are sore, my shoulders are sore. And the diagnosis, is that you, you know, you have cancer in multiple places in your body. Here's a Tylenol. Um, I hope you'll be okay. See, the accurate diagnosis requires a certain treatment that is not Tylenol for cancer. Same with our human condition. We are fallen creatures and we need a king who is different, who is perfect, who will sacrifice and die in our place to be able to transform us from the inside out. That's why it's important to at least for a moment look at this lens of the sinfulness of God's people. See, we all need a Savior. And what that will do, what that should do, is make us hope in the right thing for human change, which is salvation in Jesus, not other things. Not the things that people get all excited about in the news or on Twitter. Um, no, the answer to the human condition is Jesus Christ alone. And Matthew wants us to trust in that. What's interesting about Matthew you know, if you're a writer, and some of you, I think, like to write, if you're writing a book, 
this isn't the opening. This isn't the, the, the catch line, the gripping line that you would start with. Uh, the Gospel of John starts with this epic entry. The book of Luke, though maybe a little boring in the intro, it's at least a detailed researching. The book of Mark, which is more my personality, he's just like, he's off to the race. He doesn't even touch the genealogies. He's just going, 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 going. So why is Matthew wanting us to just start with this big, long list of names? I think there's many reasons for it. The big is Jesus is the king, but he wants us to see all these different textures that are in Jesus' family line. One being, they are a fallen and marred group of men and women, just like we are, just like your family tree is. And that should give you hope because Jesus did emerge from this line. So second lens we're going to look at. First two are on the darker side. The, the last two are, are more encouraging. The lens of suffering. The lens of suffering Jesus' family line suffered greatly. If you live any amount of time in this world, you will experience some degree of suffering. And that's not because you sin necessarily. It's because you live in a fallen and broken world that has been marred by sin. Our, our bodies are broken. Our minds can be broken at times. Um, suffering is part of the human condition. The suffering can, can happen in physical form. It can happen in threats um, from opposing nations, we'll see. Um, it can happen with the guilt and shame of sins done to us or sins that we have participated in. Let me just give you a few examples of God's people suffering that are in this family tree. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she, she carried the burden of being barren uh, until she was 90 years old. So the shame of that, the ridicule of that, the mocking of that, the whispering of that when she walks around, um, when she's out and about, the whispers would have happened. Oh, I thought this was, I thought this was Abraham and Sarah. They were going to have you know, the hope of the world, and she doesn't have a baby, and now she's, she's almost 90 years old. Look at her. That would, have been, that would have been a burden, that especially in biblical times. That would have been a burden and a shame and a, a suffering that was prolonged. Ruth, who um, marries Boaz, she was a widow. So she lost her husband. Her husband died at a young age when she was relatively young as well. She was not Jewish. She left her home country to nobly care for her mother-in-law, and then she ends up getting married, and not only getting married, but becoming part of the family line of Jesus, the King of Kings. But she suffered. Let's not forget that the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years before they got rescued and delivered. There, there are bleak, bleak, bleak times in God's people's history. How that should encourage us is God never loses sight of his people. He never fears what's happening. He's fully over it and committed to working through it. Uh, even King David lived in caves at times. So he's the king. He's been picked. And he is running from King Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. And he is in 
caves hiding. At one point, he pretends he's, a, he's gone mad just so he can get away. That's the king. He suffered greatly. There was a split between the Jewish people, between the northern and southern kingdoms. The people of God were divided. Eventually, their, their rebellion resulted in being held captive by Babylonians and taken to another country. This is the hope of the world, God's people, and it's just crumbling and falling apart. I mean, I want you to imagine this. So there, there, uh, Jeconiah is mentioned twice. He's 18 years old. He becomes king uh, for the next about 37 years. He is living in Babylonian captivity. He's a prisoner in Babylon. There, there's no fulfillment of promises happening. Eventually, he gets added back to the line and uh, a child comes through his line. But for 37 years, it, it looks dark and bleak. Not long after that, the temple of Solomon, you know that beautiful temple that's described in the Bible that Solomon took years to build and oversee? It's just taken down to the ground. It's totally decimated. This is the dwelling place of God. See, we're not Jewish, so we can't quite feel these things. I want you to imagine that all of us are taken captive out of the United States of America, and in our captivity, we see a news flash, and the White House is just devastated. It is no more. It is just ruins and dust. So you're a U.S. citizen, you're living in a foreign land, and the symbol of America is gone. That's actually less than what they would have felt because this was the dwelling place of God himself. So all hope seems to have been going away and fading. If you trace from the Old Testament, if you trace from King Solomon and then forward, you'll just see this decline that just happens with the Jewish people to the point where uh, William Hendrickson says that uh, when the Babylonian captivity happened, when the Jewish people were taken from the promised land, it's like an eclipse went over all the promises of the Messiah. It got dark. The lights went out, humanly speaking. And so it's important to see God's people through that lens. And yet God still eventually was working. And eventually there's a promise that there's going to be this, this, this something's going to spring from this stump of Jesse, this, this tree that's been cut down. There's going to be a sprout. And Jesse, King David's father, who then Jesus comes through that line. It, it happens. See, God doesn't miss your suffering. He's filled with compassion. He's filled with grace. He's filled with mercy. Some of you have very difficult lives right now. You have internal struggles. You have external struggles. You have physical struggles. You have relational struggles. You have family struggles. And um, the, the glitz and glamour of Christmas seems to magnify that to a degree. And it, it's discouraging. Here's what you need to know, that the Lord is at work. The Lord loves you. The Lord um, will see you through yet another difficulty. And one day, you will be with Jesus forever if you've trusted in him. He's going to wipe away every tear. 
going to take away every burden. There will be no more sadness, no more sorrow. So it's important that we understand the lens of suffering that the Jewish people went through, that God's people continue to go through to this day. See, real Christianity is not plastic. It's not come in and act like you're something that you're not. No, we, we come in messy. We own that messiness. And over time, Jesus transforms us and he changes us and he restores us and he fixes what's broken. But in the ultimate sense, that perfect restoration will be when Jesus comes back the second time. The second advent is what we're looking really forward to when he's coming back. Like Dave said during communion, he will return. All right, let's put on a new set of glasses. The lens of grace. So now it's going to get brighter. So if it's if we're outside, dark clouds were in, rain was happening. Now we're in Florida. It's getting sunny. Let's wear our glasses. The lens of grace. The ancestors of Jesus were recipients of undeserved grace and mercy. So we've got to understand the brokenness to see the beauty of the grace of God. I mean, starting with Abram, Abraham, he was just chosen from God. He wasn't Jewish. He was picked out, called, and asked to follow God, and he did. And from that came the Jewish people. That is all because of grace. King David was the younger brother of many brothers. And so even after King Saul had disqualified himself from being king and, and Samuel was sent to Jesse's house to find the king that will come from Jesse's family. Big strong brother, one after another comes in. Is Oh, that's got to be the guy. He's ripped, he's tall, he's handsome. That's got to be the guy. No, that's not the guy, the Lord says. Next guy, oh, he's not quite as tall, not quite strong, but he's still pretty solid. He's got abs. Maybe that's the guy. No, that's not the guy. Got any other guys? So they're working through the family line. Oh, that guy, the little brother who is the shepherd boy, he's the guy? He's the one? Yeah, he's the one I want you to anoint as king. That, that's the grace of God. Even in David's notorious sins, he experiences forgiveness and cleansing. If you're interested, read Psalm 51. It's David's kind of coming clean with the Lord. The Lord forgave him of his sins and restored him. So there's grace. King Solomon, after all his wild years, seems to have returned near the end of his life and gotten right with the Lord. Rahab, who first meets some of the, the basically the, the trained Jewish spies who are going to come in and scout out the promised land that God's about to give them, she encounters them. She has an awareness and has heard about this God who is all-powerful and is the true God. And so she ends up hiding the spies in her house, in her home, and comes to faith. And she is mentioned numerous times in the Bible, but surprise of her life, she becomes in the family line of Jesus himself. The grace of God came into Rahab's life. And there are so many foreshadowings of, in the Old Testament of the new. I mean, think about it this way. If you're familiar at all with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus got messy with people. 
Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus risked his reputation with the religious leaders of the day because he associated with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners of every sort. See, Rahab's a a foreshadowing of that. Listen to what Luke records in Luke 5. And he actually records this about Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, also known as Levi. And Levi made him a great feast. This is when Levi encounters Jesus, who is the author of Matthew, in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. It was a wild bunch by many, by the religious people. It was a despised bunch. And there's Jesus sitting right in the middle of that wild, messy bunch. He came to seek and save the lost. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at the disciples and said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus knew why he came to earth. He knew his own family tree. He knew his family history. He knew how many skeletons were in the many closets of his history. And that's the point. That's why he came. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how messy and broken your family is, there is grace. There is a powerful Lord and Savior who has conquered sin and death who can take what is broken and restore it. He can bring real genuine change and forgiveness. That, he's notorious for doing that. So even Judah and Tamar, so you've got a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law, they're the recipients of undeserved grace and mercy. Their children, twins, end up in the family tree of Jesus. I mentioned Jeconiah earlier. The reason that scholars believe he's mentioned twice is because in some ways he had kind of two different lives. So verse 11, um, Jeconiah is, is king taken to Babylon. He eventually returns. So he had, let's say, no hope in Babylon for 37 years. So that, I am 46 years old, so that would be most of my lifetime, at least I would say all my memorable lifetime, I would be in prison, not thinking about anything good in the future. And yet Jeconiah, in the grace of God, becomes part of the family line of Jesus. See, Jesus is amazing and gracious. One of the things we don't maybe catch as much as the Jewish people would is even Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, Um, they would have experienced great ridicule and shame because it was known that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Look at Matthew 16, 1, 16. So every other one says, father of this, father of that, father of him, father of him. Um, Look at what it says in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, You would think it would say the father of Jesus, but it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So we know that Jesus was conceived miraculously. 
But Joseph, and we'll even see this next week, that he, he thought, oh, she's pregnant. I should, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away because I was not involved. And, and, and yet then the Lord speaks to him and says, no, this is a miracle. And Jesus is your son. He's on the line of the Messiah, which you are, Joseph. And so here you go. And so they would have had the shame of that and the, and the reputation of that probably for their entire lives. It's, um, and yet they knew the truth. God had sent angels to both of them. And so they were very clear that this is a calling God had on their life. And so not only did they have some shame and suffering, but they had experienced the grace of God as well. Listen to how Mary responds. While she's pregnant with Jesus, she knows he is going to be the Savior of the world now. And listen to what she says. I, I love this section of the Bible. So she's with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is the mom of John the Baptist. This will mess with your theology, but somehow John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit inside of his mom before he was born, before he trusted in Jesus. Um, so that's happening. It was unique. But this is what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, who happens to be the baby inside of her womb. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She understood the magnitude of what was happening. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled, filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The exact age of Mary is unknown, but but most think she was very young. She was a young teenage mom who God chose out of all the teenage moms in the world to bear and carry Jesus, the Savior of the world. That, that only happened because of grace and mercy. And Joseph, her husband, was an upstanding man, and he took the responsibility to, to be the dad, the human dad of Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. Imagine, I mean, we, we don't have too many things that are super valuable that I can think of right now. But imagine, like, if you had a car that was worth $300,000. That alone, like, you're driving, you're feeling nervous, especially if you don't have money to fix it. So you, somebody gave it to you, and you, you'd feel this privilege and responsibility. Imagine if you had a diamond that was worth $10 million. You'd watch over that and you'd, with great care and be very careful. They have been entrusted as a baby, the Savior of the world. That's a, that's a major responsibility. They took that very, very seriously. And they became Jesus' parents all because of the grace of God. Last pair of glasses, the lens of divine intervention. The ancestors of Jesus were recipients of miraculous divine intervention. 
Andrew, you don't have to show these passages. I'm just going to mention them. The first is this. The, the fact that Isaac was born is, is a total miracle and really a foreshadowing of Jesus to come. So remember, Abraham was 100. His wife, Sarah, was 90 when Isaac was born. She had given up all hope of being a mom, and God surprised her, and she laughed. Yeah, who would have thought in my old age I would have a baby? And yet that was a miracle. That was God answering and fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham. And he did it in a supernatural way, which points to a greater miracle that would eventually happen. But, but another miraculous divine intervention happened with Isaac. So he's the hope of the future. He's the line that Jesus eventually is going to come through. And what does God ask Abraham to do? I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Abraham obediently goes through with it, has everything ready to sacrifice Isaac, and then God intervenes and provides a substitute. A ram in the thicket is caught and takes Isaac's place. Another foreshadowing of a greater substitute that would come in Jesus Christ. And then the miracle of miracles is the conception of Jesus. Fully God, fully man, and he is being carried by Mary. Miraculous divine intervention so that he could be of the line of the king, he could be absolutely sinless, and he grew up fighting and opposing sin in every way. And then he died on the cross as a payment for our sins. So as we come to a close here, here's just some big takeaways I see, applications of just what jumps out in this genealogy. Hope in Jesus, not in kings, politicians, pastors, church leaders, Hope in Jesus. He's the only one who will never fail you. That doesn't mean there can't be decent people in all those categories, but oftentimes they're not, and, and Christians get confused. So put all your chips in Jesus alone. Another takeaway, God is notorious for working despite the sins of men and women. He is shockingly gracious and forgiving. As Marcy shared this morning, we're, we should be shockingly gracious and forgiving towards others because we've received shockingly amazing forgiveness from the Lord Himself. If your family is messed up, take heart. God's grace and power can transform and restore the most broken, messy lives. That's the point of Jesus coming. God's faithfulness is displayed through people and families just like yours and mine. So the question is, do you believe that? God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's power is displayed through messy lives just like yours and mine. So my hope at the outset this morning was when you look at these genealogies, you, you would just notice things you hadn't before. So let me just read the, the closing lines and then we're going to sing a final song. 
Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's stand and pray if the band could come up. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true king. You are the true savior. And Lord, we all need you. And and some of us are very aware of our need and others are completely blind to it. For those who are blind to their need, I pray they would see it and see you as the answer and the hope. And for those of us who, who have experienced your grace, I pray we believe it all the more. And I pray as we are out and about during this Christmas season, we would bring the hope of Jesus to those who are hurting and suffering and pain and and, uh, messy like we are and give us great love and compassion and we will give you all the glory for this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.